0: All right, well, today, as we look at the final passage of uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to talk about waiting. We're going to talk about waiting. So how does everybody feel about waiting? Anybody in the room enjoy a nice, long wait? I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I, I hate waiting at a restaurant when the service is slow. Uh, I, I hate waiting behind an accelerator challenge driver when the light turns green. Anybody? I hate waiting at the hospital when you're, you're sick and you go to the waiting room and she said, the, the woman at the uh, counter says, go have a seat. I hate waiting on the telephone on hold while I want to talk to somebody. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I don't think I'm alone here. Uh, in fact, I read this week that, that of all people in the world, our, Americans are the least patient Uh, this is a quote that I read this week. Americans, with our fixation on time management and obsession with instant everything, are extremely intolerant about waiting. We live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the world, which means that we want what we want, and we want it now. And it better be quick and easy. And so maybe you relate to that. The article went on to say we are a Horn honking, microwaving, FedEx mailing, fast food eating, express lane shopping, people. And maybe you relate to that a little bit this morning. And you know, I, I read this week also on the internet that the average person waits 46 to 62 minutes a day. And then the article went on to say that, uh, the same report went on to say that the aver- this averages out to three years of your life is spent waiting. Now, some of you, that may seem hard to believe, but I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Uh, COVID hasn't helped much because uh, really, COVID has been a time of waiting, hasn't it? It's, you know, where the the lines are longer at the grocery store, uh, the the economy, everything just seems to be slowing down. And, you know, when's it going to be over? None of us know. We're just sitting in this holding pattern and we wait. And as Americans, this is frustrating, isn't it? So how are you at waiting? And the reason why I bring this up is because uh, in our passage here today, at the, the very last uh, section here, uh, Peter is going to tell us to wait. And you remember last week, John talked about the day of the Lord. Uh, he And the way he talked about it was so stunning, was so exciting. He said, our future as Christians is amazing. He said, God is not going to destroy the world, he's going to redeem the world. God is not going to scrap his creation. He's going to restore his creation. He says, in the very end, God is going to set the world to rights. The world to rights. God is going to make all things resurrection new. And that's incredible. And that's exciting. I don't know about you, but I was just like, wow, that's amazing. And then what you do is you go back to work on Monday morning. So, like, what do you do? You hear about this future, about the day of the Lord, and, 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 and what do we do? We go back to work. I mean, what, what is our response to this wonderful news of the day of the Lord? Well, Peter says that our response is to wait. He says, I'm telling you about the day of the Lord, and here's what I want you to do, Christian. I want you to learn how to do the thing we all hate to do. I want, us to, I want you to learn how to wait. Can you do that? Uh, in verse uh, 14, Peter says, "Therefore, beloved, therefore, since you are waiting for these things, for what things for the coming of the Lord." he says, "Since you are waiting for these things, this is our posture as Christians, but of course, it's difficult. Uh, Lewis Smees, who's a, a theologian, said this, "Waiting is our destiny." As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait for, in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. So here's what Lewis Meads is saying. As a Christian, waiting is your destiny. The basic posture of the Christian in the world is waiting, is anticipation. We live in the already not yet, Christ is raised again from the dead, but he's not yet come for the second time. And so we live uh, in the time between the times, between promise and fulfillment, in the already not yet. We are living in tension. And so what Peter says is he says, Christian, I want you to learn how to wait. Be patient. But how do we do that? That's what Peter goes on to tell us in this passage. What I want to do is give us three things uh, that will help us wait. Uh, Peter says, uh, we are awaiting people, we're awaiting the the second coming, but how do we wait? He gives us three ways we are to wait. We're going to go through them here this morning. And The first thing he says, that as Christians, we are to wait actively. Verse 14, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So Peter says, I want you to wait actively. And this is important to know because when we think about waiting, oftentimes we think about inactivity. You know, you're, you're crossing the street with your kids and you say, well, I want you to wait here, meaning stay, don't run into the street, stay there, don't move, stop, wait. And so when we hear the words wait, we think of inactivity, we think about doing nothing. And this is a lot of times the criticism of the Christian doctrine of the second coming. Karl Marx famously said, the second coming is the opium of the masses, It puts Christians to sleep. Why change the present world for waiting for heaven? If 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 you've got this pie in the sky, this this hope of the future, you're just going to be completely inactive in the present. But Peter says, no, 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 no. He says, I want you to wait. Unless we think that waiting means doing nothing, he says, I want you to wait. What that means is to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The Christian waiting is an active waiting. The waiting that we all are in right now, in the time between the times, the already not yet, is a waiting that spurs us on to action. In another place, uh, when Paul talks about waiting, he says, we need to wait like the farmer. And how does a farmer wait? A A farmer doesn't just sit and do nothing as he waits for the rain. He plows and he plants and he, you know, digs and he works. And after he's done everything, then he waits. And this is the way we are to wait for the second coming. As you live, Paul says, or Peter says, I want you to be actively waiting. Earlier on, Peter says, anticipate and hasten the day of his coming. And so we are to wait actively. As we wait for the future... We ought to work. And so are you actively waiting? Are you hastening the coming day of the Lord? Are you anticipating it and working forward to hasten it? Uh, Because uh, when when we think about the coming day of the Lord, this this should make us active in our present world. Because when when our ultimate future is a new world. uh, You know, our ultimate future is not being whisked away into heaven. It is not us going up into the clouds. Our ultimate future is Christ coming down from the clouds to earth. Not us going to heaven, but Christ coming down to earth and making all things new. And since a new world is coming, we ought to be active in the present. A couple years ago, or three, five years ago now, I had an opportunity to teach a class at Lyon College, a basic theology class. And I taught, you know, basic Christian dox- doctrines. And when I came to the, the doctrine of the second coming, uh, there was a girl in the class. She was sat in the very back most of the time, and she was one of these environmentalists. She was a granola, you know, hippie. She wore patchouli oil, you know, and hair in dreadlocks. And uh, she, most of the time, was halfway sleeping during class, maybe because she had a little too much, you know, something beforehand. But she was kind of she was back there. And uh, when I talked about the second coming, she woke up, and she was very alert. And after I had explained that, you know, heaven is not about us going up into the clouds, but Christ coming down to the earth, and about God making all things new, she raised her hand right afterwards, and I said, yes. And she says, you know what this means? This is amazing. She said, I never heard this before. You know what this means? She said, God is into recycling. God is not gonna scrap the old world that he made, he's gonna re- renew it, he's gonna fix it. A new world is coming. And she says, you know what this means? This means that we should be into recycling too. A new world is coming, this earth is gonna be restored. And what this means is that we should care about this earth. We ought to work towards God's redemption. We ought to envision a world that is coming. Isn't this what Martin Luther King Jr. did? You know, he was so active uh, with social justice and caring for the poor and reaching out to those who were suffering uh, because of racism. Why was he doing that? Because in his mind, he could envision a world in which righteousness would roll roll down like a waterfall. He was picturing the new creation. And the future made him active in the present. So we should care about this world. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis said. He, he puts it this way. It's going to come up on the screen. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the world, that, that this world, that they have, let me just read it like this. <laughs> it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so, ineffective in this one the greater vision you have for the future should make you more active in the present and not only in changing the world but also in changing your own life and this is the point that peter makes here he says i want you to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish he says think about you know if christ could come and he could come at any minute how is he going to find you how are you living right now you see Waiting should be active. We ought to be actively looking at our own lives and asking ourselves the question Am I ready? If Christ came tomorrow, am I ready for his return? Is my life without spot and blemish? You know, so many of us, we live our lives thinking, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to change. Sure, I need to get right, but I've got a lot of time. I'm just, you know, I'm just so busy right now, and I'll fix the cracks in my marriage. I'll, I'll work on that addiction. I will uh, change this, this bad habit tomorrow. Peter says, you may not have a tomorrow. If you are waiting for Christ's return, you need to live. That means living in such a way that you are ready when he comes back. Several years ago, Anita, uh, my wife, uh, went on a trip to New York City with our our littlest uh, child, Jude, at the time. And uh, she went away. This was the longest she had ever been gone. I think it was a week or something. And and when she left, the house fell apart. I'll just be honest with you guys. The laundry piled up. The the dishes piled up. uh, The kids ran around half naked most of the time. Uh, Samuel actually fell and got stitches on his uh, his, uh, eyebrow. Things fell apart. But as it came closer for Anita to return from New York City, I got to work. I cleaned the house. I dressed the kids. I cleaned the dishes. In fact, uh, Faith Posey came over. She lived around a block. And when she walked in the house, she says, wow, you kept it so clean while your wife was away. And I said, oh, yes, it's, it's been like this the whole time. No, no, no. It got cleaner the closer she got to coming home. Because when she came home, I wanted her to find the house spotless. I didn't want her to find me laying on the couch, eating donuts from Donut Palace. I wanted to be ready. Peter says, are you ready? I'm not using fear to motivate you. I I wasn't cleaning the house because I was afraid that Anita would divorce me. I cleaned because I love her. And Christ is coming back. Are you ready? Don't wait another day to change that bad habit or to repent of that sin you, you know you need to repent of. We need to be actively waiting for his return. Peter says, be diligent to be found by him without spot and without blemish. Now notice he goes on though, because there's there's a second way that we need to wait. So wait actively. You know, waiting for Christ's return should make you it should energize you to change the world and to change your life. But also, notice Peter says, I want you to wait not only actively, but also peacefully. Wait peacefully. Because notice what Peter goes on to say. He says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And he says, I want you to be at what? At peace. That's a funny way to end that sentence, isn't it? He says, I want you to be active, and I want you to be ready to be found by him. Clean up your life, and also I want you to be at peace. Peter says, I want you to wait peacefully. I want you to wait restfully. Now, what does he mean by that? And I want to try to explain this. Waiting should be restful and peaceful for us. The doctrine of the second coming should cause us to relax a little bit. Some of you need to relax a little bit. Because here's the deal. I said that we live in the already not yet. Uh, Christ is risen from the dead, and yet he hasn't yet fulfilled his promise to return. And what that means is that we live in the tension. We live in the tension of the already not yet between promise and fulfillment. And what this means is that the world that we know it, your life as you know it, is not the way it's supposed to be. Christ is risen from the dead, and yet your, your marriage is still a struggle. Christ is risen from the dead, and yet your, your life is still filled with, with suffering, still with addictions and, and, with, and with troubles and, and illnesses. Christ is risen from the dead, and yet we look out at the world, and there's injustice and there's, there's brokenness still. Things are not right. It's because we live in a world filled with tension. Here's the question I want to ask you. How do you live with tension? Most of us hate it, especially if you're a perfectionist. If you're a perfectionist, you like resolve. You like things to be finished. You like to check things off the list and be done with them. But as Christians, we live in the messy middle, the already not yet where there's tension. And Christians who have learned how to wait are learning to make peace with the present. Yeah, we're actively trying to hasten the day of this coming, and yet when we've done all that we can do, we are able to sit back and say, you know what, the world isn't perfect, but one day it will be. You're at peace in the present. Can you do that? Uh, one beautiful picture of this is, is from a woman named, uh, because how do we do this? What does this look like? Let me give you a picture. Uh, Joni Erickson Tada is one of my favorite examples of this. Uh, her picture is going to come up on the screen. There she is. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, back in the 70s when she was 17 years old, she dove off a dock into shallow water and broke her neck. And she became a quadriplegic, couldn't use her arms or legs. And she was so frustrated about this, but she eventually made peace with the present. Yeah, she struggled, but eventually she made peace, and so she learned how to paint with her teeth. And she wrote books. And somebody came up to her one day and says, well, but you're, you're in a wheelchair. Isn't this frustrating for you? And she answered this. She said, I know that I am suffering now, but Christ gives me hope for the future. The Bible speaks of our bodies as being glorified in heaven. In high school, that always seemed like a hazy foreign concept to me, but now, being a quadriplegic, I realize I will be healed at the expiration day. I have not been cheated out of being a complete person. I'm just going through a 40 or 50 year delay. There's a woman who's at peace in a wheelchair. What tension are you living in right now? What unresolved situation are you living in right now? Maybe it's a chronic illness. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Maybe it's a job that you just, it, you just, it doesn't fit your gifts and, and you want work that's meaningful, but there you are. What tension are you living in right now? What Peter would say is I want you to learn how to live at peace in the tension. We're in the already not yet. Some tension will never be resolved. And although we should change everything we can at some point, you just have to realize I live in a broken world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. There's a danger of something called overrealized eschatology. I know that's a big theological word. But what eschatology is the end. It's the last, it's the, the study of last things. And overrealized eschatology is when people try to live in their present as though that day has already happened. And so people write books that, that are entitled, You Can Live Your Best Life Now. The Bible says your best life is future. And the world that we live in right now, unfortunately, is broken. And although teachers will say, oh yeah, you can be healthy and wealthy and successful. You can live your best life right now. Now, the Bible says, oh no, your best life is yet to come. And so we must live with a piece of, of God in the middle of tension. We must learn to manage our expectations. Some of us expect way too much out of life, we expect perfection when we live in a world that is broken. I love the, the band U2, and one of my favorite songs from the band U2 is a song that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because that's the way we live in this world. Yes, there are beautiful things in this world. There are vacations you can go on, there are marriages that are amazing, and yet as a Christian, you say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So Peter says, beware of over-realized eschatology. I want you to learn how to wait peacefully. Live with the tension. Keep looking forward to the new world. So, Peter says, I want you to to wait actively. So what does it mean to wait? It means that we work in the present. We try to pull the the new world, uh, the justice and the righteousness and the holiness. We try to live it now and anticipate it. And yet, we realize that we've got to wait peacefully. The world will never be perfect. It's always going to be broken. There's kind of a reality that we're living with that helps us look forward. But finally, I want to uh, talk about a third thing, which is we must wait transformingly. And... I didn't know how else to put this, but let's read this this next section. This is one of my favorite little pieces here in the letter. It says, and we count the patience of our Lord as salvation. We count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. Uh, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant, twist, uh, ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose, who lose their own stability, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory of both now and into eternity. Amen. Amen. So notice here, at the, this, I love this part because here you have one apostle, Peter, talking about another apostle's writings, Paul. And he gives Paul a little critical review. He says, yeah, Paul said some interesting things, but man, he was hard to understand. He should have written a little bit more clearly. But, but notice uh, he says, um, just as Paul wrote that you need to count the patience of the Lord as salvation, uh, earlier on in, in what John, uh, one of the elders, uh, read last week, is he says that the reason why Christ hasn't come back yet is because he's, God is patient. He's waiting. Why is God waiting? Because it says that he wants all to come to repentance. Uh, the reason why we're, we're waiting and waiting, the reason why God uh, is, is delaying his coming is because he wants more people to experience Salvation. And so he says, I want you to wait transformingly. I want you to think that there are other people's lives that need to be transformed. There are lives that need to be saved, lives that need to be redeemed. What kind of work does God want to do through you as you wait? Maybe there are people in your lives that need salvation. Maybe there are friends and neighbors that God wants you to talk to. That he's waiting to return so that they might come to repentance. But don't just think about the the salvation that God wants to do through you as you wait, but think about the salvation that God wants to do in you as you wait. So as we wait for the second coming, it's not just that we're waiting for Christ to come back and that's it. God does something in us as we wait. Waiting is transformative. And I love what uh, John Ortberg says. He says, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want, Waiting is part of the process of, as becoming, of becoming what God wants us to be. And then he says, what God does in us as we wait is just as important as what it is we are waiting for. Waiting changes you. One of the ways you experience God's salvation is a, 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 in your life is through the waiting. So wh- whether you're waiting for a date or waiting for a better job or waiting for healing from your illness or waiting for Christ to return. God is doing something in you as you wait. He's teaching you to trust him. Uh, one of my favorite books is one by Henry Nowen, and it's called uh, Sabbatical Journeys. And in the book, he, he talks about some trapeze artists that, that he knew, knows called the Flying Riddells, and how, you know, they, these two people in this uh, act, they would kind of fly together on a trapeze, if you've seen that in the circus, and they said that they developed this really intimate relationship with one another. And so... Um, he go, this is what Nowen says. He says, the flyer is, is the one that lets go. So in the trapeze act, the flyer lets go. And then there's the catcher. He's the one that catches. So you picture this trapeze. There's the flyer that flies off the one side and the catcher which catches him. He says, as you might imagine, this relationship is important, especially to the flyer. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. He arcs out into the air and his job is to remain as still as possible and to wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. This trapeze, artist told, this trapeze artist told Nowen, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher and the flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. And then he goes on and he says, and some of you are in a, in a vulnerable moment right now. You've let go of what it is God has called you to let go of. But you can't feel God's hand catching you yet. And you want to start flailing around. Will you wait in absolute trust? Will you be patient? Because waiting requires patient trust. In other words, what God does in you as you wait is as important as what it is you're waiting for. And this is why all the way through the Bible, you see these characters waiting for God. Abraham waited for a promise. Israel waited to enter the promised land. David waited to be king. And we wait for Christ to return because God does something in us as we wait. Remember in the Gospels, there's a story where the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm came? When did Jesus come to the disciples in the storm? I I would have wanted Jesus to come right at the beginning of the storm or maybe a few minutes before it even came. It says that Jesus didn't come until the fourth watch of the night. In other words, the very end of the night. In other words, he made them wait for him to appear. And why did he do that? It's because he knows that we develop trust as we wait. And we develop patience as we wait because God does things in you through the waiting. And so that's how uh, Peter ends the letter. He says Christ is going to come. And I know that there are scoffers that say hey, where is the promise of his coming? He's never going to come back. What are you waiting for? Peter says no 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 you wait. As God's people waiting is our destiny. We must wait actively though. And we must wait peacefully. And we must wait knowing that God is transforming us in the waiting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have uh, given us this this very last section in 2 Peter, which uh, teaches us about waiting. What what does it mean for us to be the people of God who wait on your return? And God, I pray that you would help us. I know that for many of us, it's tempting to forget the day of the Lord, uh, to stop waiting, to get so caught up in in the present world that we're no longer anticipating the future one. But Father, we know that important changes happen in our lives. We know that peace comes. We know that transformation comes as we wait. So help us to be awaiting people. Help us to anticipate your coming. Help us to wait for you. In Jesus' name we pray.